Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. Well, praise God, we're here. We are at the last day of 2017. That is amazing. And for some of us, we cheer because we're thinking, good riddance, 2000. So some of us are excited for a year ahead. There's, there's no doubt a number of different emotions being experienced here today. And you know, it's interesting because as I've shared with many, tomorrow it will be officially 2018. It will be Monday. And if we were all convinced that it was 2015, it would still just be another day in some respects, right? Yet... For some reason, as the calendar changes and fiscal years end and we have to wrap things up at work, all of that and just the celebration that surrounds New Year's convinces us that there's a new opportunity before us, right? And I don't think that's a bad thing. I look forward to it. I get excited about it as well. It's an opportunity for us to have, in some respects, a fresh start. And we should be excited about New Year's. We ring it in here this evening We should look forward with great anticipation to what the Lord is going to do in the year ahead. You know, there's a lot of things that are always sort of on our lists, if you will. Some people call them New Year's resolutions. Some people say, oh, I don't want to even make a New Year's resolution because I'm guaranteed to fail at it if I call it that. But I think we should look forward. We should consider the things that we want to accomplish, the goals that we have. You know, health is always on the list, right? Whether losing 10 pounds or exercising regularly or shedding the Christmas treats that we ate over the last week. For some, it's related to their job, perhaps, maybe earning a sought-after promotion, maybe going back to school or, or spending more time with family. Maybe there's a broken relationship that needs mended, and you're thinking to yourself, this is the year that I want to make amends and restore that relationship. Maybe it's being more involved at church. You know, we have a need for Sunday school workers. Shameless plug, okay? One of the things that's really grown here at Calvary Chapel Northeast over the last year is our children's ministry. We have more of them, but on Wednesday nights in particular, we have fewer teachers. So, you know, may that be an encouragement to you if you're considering those things. Yes, shameless plug. There's a lot of things that we're considering, right? There's a lot of things that we should look forward to that we should say, Lord, I want to, in this year ahead, commit myself to fill in the blank. I think it's an important thing for us to do. I think it's a worthwhile effort. And as we return today to our study in Acts chapter 21, if you want to go ahead and turn there, this is somewhat the place that we find the Apostle Paul. And for me today, the message is very fitting with this theme. As we find the Apostle Paul nearing the end of his ministry, nearing the end of his ministry journey as well, and subsequently his life. What we'll see today is the Apostle Paul has a very clear sense and awareness that his time on earth is coming to an end. He knew it. In fact, we will see today that the Holy Spirit very much gave him warning of what was to come. But once again, we see his resolve. We see that the knowledge of this, the knowledge of what was awaiting him, didn't move him. He says in the previous chapter, in chapter 20, as he's there speaking to the elders in Ephesus, in chapter 20, verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. In the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To consider that and that that would be our aim this year. Our New Year's resolution, if you will, our goal, our mantra, that we would pursue Him. That we would be so in tune with the calling that He's placed on our lives that regardless of what's happening, we'd say, man, I'm going after it this year. I am selling out this year for Him. Last year on New Year's Day, just we're talking a year, just shy of a year, day shy of a year ago, we were here, and this is where we introduced the vision for our church of making disciples of Christ right there. And not that this is a new thing by any means, some novel idea. Of course, it's rooted in Scripture, but this is where, and, and last year, where I sought to remind us of why we're here, of why we're here as a church. I went and reviewed my notes from the message last year, and, and just to refresh my own memory and consider and to evaluate, how did we do? How did we do it at achieving that vision? What did we accomplish? What didn't we accomplish? What did we learn? And as it relates to the vision, I can tell you that's not going away. That is the vision, to make disciples of Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we're going to continue to do. But that this year that we would renew our focus on it, that we would recognize the importance of it, that we would all as believers surrender to that call on our lives. And from there, like Paul say that we do not count our lives dear, that we will not be moved by circumstances, that we will, no matter the cost in the year ahead, seek with joy to fulfill that which our Lord has called us to. And so I'd ask that you'd consider, if you will, that while, yes, I desire for all of us that we would have a reckless love towards God, that we would recognize and consider that that's only because He had a reckless love towards us first and foremost, that he's given it all for us. In return, should we not do the same? I pray that in 2018, I pray that as we dig into the word here today and we consider where the Apostle Paul is at, as we consider the scripture that we have before us today, that with reckless abandon, we would resolve in this new year to give it all to him. Can we imagine what that would be like? Can we be honest with ourselves today, even as we prepare for communion again today? That in anticipation of that, could we be honest with ourselves? In your hearts here, as we go throughout the message, open yourself up to the Lord and say, say, Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. I've held back. I've held something back. I haven't been willing to give you everything. And I want to do that. I want to commit to that and to recognize that when you do, if every one of us were to make that commitment today to think about what's possible in the year ahead what the Lord could do in us and through us if we were to do that, if we were to live as the Apostle Paul, whose example we have before us today. And so if you would, let's just seek the Lord here in prayer as we go to his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the fact that we can come together freely this morning, that we can study your word, that we can sing praises to you, that we can proclaim the name of Jesus, and that we can do so freely, that we can come together on this New Year's Eve and consider, Lord, what's behind us, the many blessings, Lord, the many trials, yes, and that we can look forward to a new year ahead and seek you in that. Father, move in our midst here today, I pray. I pray that we would have hearts 
that are surrendered here this morning. Willing, Lord, to allow you to move and to work and to convict and to exhort and to transform, Lord, to shape. Lord, do that work within us, I pray. May your word, which is alive, Lord, be clear to us here this morning. Pierce our hearts and minds. Lord, give us understanding that when we leave here today, Lord, we'd have a a greater sense of what you desire of us. Father, bless this time that we have here, Lord. I pray that it be pleasing to you, that you would be glorified, Father. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 21, verse 1. So here, as I mentioned, we're going to pick up here again with the Apostle Paul. And he's on his third missionary journey. And we're going to see here at the beginning of the chapter that he is traveling through several different cities. Verse 14, and we read, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to cause. The following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And so Paul, as I've already mentioned, has departed from his friends in Ephesus. In the previous chapter, we had a great account specifically of his exhortation to the elders in Ephesus. If you recall, he had spent a great deal of time with the church at Ephesus, more so than he did at most other places, and he had developed a strong relationship with them. And on the previous leg of his journey, knowing that if he had gone there, he would have stayed far too long, he asked the elders to come and meet him where he was because he didn't want to be able to address them. He wanted to be able to speak to them and share with them and encourage them. And so we had this message in the previous chapter that he had given them that was really about his example to them and what he desired of them, how they should live. And it says here that he had departed from his friends in Ephesus, but the language here does not capture it well. That's one of the difficulties of the English language is it's oddly complex, yet simplistic. There's all sorts of weird rules in the English language that just don't seem to make any sense, yet we lack a lot of the words that other languages have that allow us to really convey what something is. In our language, we talk about love, and we use love for a million different things, Yet in Greek, there's different words for love that give you a sense and an understanding of what is it really? Is it infatuation? Is it unconditional love? And so here, when it says that they had departed from them, you just sort of think, okay, well, Paul left. But in the language here, what it means is that he had to tear himself away from them. He struggled to leave, and they didn't want to see him go. He had to tear himself away. He had spent such time with these people. He loved them dearly. And it was very hard for him to leave, much in part because he knew he would likely not see them again. And I want us to understand that. You've got to understand the mindset of Paul here. It's so easy for us to read these verses and think, oh, look at Paul. He's sailing from here. He's going here. He's going here. He's got a plan. Paul has in his mind and his heart that he is going to die soon. We will come to a point here in this passage where when he gets to Caesarea, that it's been about 20 years that he's been ministering. And I've said this before, you know, we think in terms, in in our understanding, we think in terms of, well, that was just back in chapter four, right? It's only been 16 chapters. Well, not even that for Paul. I think he's introduced in chapter eight. So we don't think in terms of 20 years, 20 years he's been doing this, investing in people. 
And he has a sense because of the leading of the Spirit that he's going to Jerusalem. He says he's bound to go there. He knows he needs to go there. And when he goes there, he's likely going to be imprisoned and put to death. We have to try and grasp that. We have to try and understand that as we consider what it was that Paul was doing. Because if we're going to take his words and try to apply them to our lives, that we have to try and have a sense of the magnitude of the work that he was doing. And consider in our own way as well, how committed are we? How sold out are we? To what lengths are we willing to go for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Here, he has to tear himself away from them. And that's family. Folks, that's believers. I got to tell you, I, I love this church. And I know you guys do too. And here we had just, we were less one service this week. And actually, we kind of made up for it on Sunday night, yet it still felt as if we were away for so long, not here together. And that's a wonderful thing. And I pray many of you would feel that way. And if you don't, you would get to that place where you have a sense of this is home, that this is family, that we long to be together. That's the bond that Christians should have. And Paul had encouraged the Ephesian church. He encouraged them to stay the course, to teach the word, to be faithful in pursuing the Lord. He shared with them his own example, and he encouraged them to continue in their faith. And desiring to set the example for them, he knew what he had to do as well. Here on his third missionary journey, he's with his companions. Luke is included in this, by the way. These are the little subtle things. Remember, Luke, Dr. Luke is the one who's recorded the book of Acts. Sometimes he's on the journey and he says that we were doing this. Other times he's saying they were doing this. This is an example of, he said, when we had departed from them, Luke is there. We're getting a firsthand account of the things that are happening here towards the end of Paul's ministry. He's journeyed over 400 miles on this particular leg, gone great distances to preach the gospel, to disciple believers, to establish the church. And he has one destination on his mind. Jerusalem. He's thinking it's time to go back to Jerusalem. Paul was compelled to return to Jerusalem despite the cost because he wanted to encourage the believers there. Remember, he had taken up an offering for them. He felt led to deliver it personally in an attempt to try and bring unity between the Gentile and the Jewish believers. There was still a lot of animosity there, and he wanted so desperately to encourage them to have unity. And it says in verse 4, in finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So here we see quickly that in every town and city that they traveled to, it seems that they were able to find disciples. They were able to find other believers. And this gives us a sense, one, of how widespread and accepted the gospel was at this time, that as they were going into cities, they could find believers but it also reminds us here again of the bond of believers. You consider if you've ever moved before, if you've ever gone to a new place before. And one of the key things in helping you to get established in that place is to develop friends, to, to have somebody that you can have a common bond with. You consider it just is such a something worth praising God over when you find another believer. Whether in the workplace or at school or in the neighborhood, you rejoice over the fact that, hey, I've met some other Christians that I can form a relationship with, that I can befriend. You get plugged into a church. And these are the things that help you to feel established. And so it was no different as they were going from city to city. It's an amazing bond that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And here as Paul encounters these fellow believers, they tell him through the leading of the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And this isn't the first time that we're going to hear this warning that they give to him. It's going to come up again here later in a few verses. And they tell him that he shouldn't go there. And so we need to ask ourselves, what's happening here? We need to consider what it is that's going on because 
were these fellow believers wrong in telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem? It says that they heard through the Spirit that he wasn't to go there, or had they rightly heard? And if so, what does that mean for Paul and and what he's about to do? Because, spoiler alert, he goes to Jerusalem. He doesn't listen to them. We have two interpretations possible here. The first of which is that this warning was a human interpretation of the direction of the Spirit, and it was misunderstood. Or that Paul was in disobedience to the leading of the Lord in going to Jerusalem. Either really could be possible. And some would say, oh, you can't talk about Paul that way. But hey, he was just a man. Yes, he was inspired by the Spirit. Yes, his letters are the divinely inspired Word of God, but he was still a man. He still made mistakes. But it seems to me, and and we'll see that play out here through really the rest of the book of Acts, that the former was more likely, that this was a misunderstanding of the leading of the Spirit on the part of these believers. And we'll see here that many people are aware of what likely awaits Paul, should he choose to return to Jerusalem. It's not something that is this far-off understanding for them. They know, they know who Paul is, and they know what Jerusalem means. And as we'll see here shortly, God was making it clear to Paul that what would happen to him when he arrived. He'll encounter a prophet here later that gives him very specific detail about what is going to happen when he gets to that city. But this doesn't deter Paul. Remember what Paul had shared with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 22, and 23. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul was bound in the Spirit. He knew what he had to do. Everywhere he went, chains awaited him. Everywhere he went. And this was the statement, this particular verse here was a statement that he made prior to proclaiming that none of these things moved him, nor did he count his life dear to himself. You see, the fellow disciples here, the believers that were in this area, they rightly heard from the Spirit what would happen to Paul, but it was their human interpretation that prompted them to plead with him not to go. The Spirit told them, yes, hey, when Paul goes here, it is not going to be good in the sense of his life. He is going to be taken. He is going to be bound. He is going to be in prison. They knew that. They heard rightly from the Spirit. But it was their interpretation. It was their own flesh that said, because of that, he shouldn't go. And so they pleaded with him. Why? Folks, because we count our lives dear to ourselves. We have to understand that. We are no different. Christian, we need to pause here, and we need to unpack this a little bit. And I'm going to tell you, you might get a little uncomfortable here today, because what we see happening here were fellow believers who they loved Paul. They didn't want him to go. They knew what awaited him. And it was clear that they wanted him to avoid that certain end. But what we must always consider is, what does the Lord want? What does the Lord want? And some people might say, well, why would the Lord want that? Why would the Lord want that for Paul? Think about Stephen, the first martyr. Wouldn't the Lord have wanted to spare his life? He died so young. The impact that he could have had. This powerful and and bold speaker. Well, don't forget that the most profound impact Stephen likely had was on the man named Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And what of the Apostle Paul? What of his life? Think back to Paul's conversion blinded on the road in Damascus. We see that in Acts chapter 9. It says at the beginning of the chapter, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He asked for letters so that he could go out and inflict violence. 
And as he's journeying in verse 3, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And so he arises, and they take him to a man's house. And then someone sent to come and baptize Saul. In verse 10, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And of course, Ananias said, well, wonderful, I'll go right away. No, he essentially said, I know this guy. Jesus, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to go and baptize this guy? Of course, the Lord said, yes. And what did he say about Saul? Go, in verse 15, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Was it some sort of sick masochistic thing that the Lord wanted to just show Paul, here you're going to suffer? No. What he did say here is that he is a chosen vessel of mine. He belongs to me, and I will use him to glorify my name to seek and to save the lost. And so, yes, what Paul understood in this moment, though there were people who were saying, don't go, don't go, is he knew who he belonged to. And he knew what would be required of him. He is a chosen vessel of mine. And Christian, do you know that you are the same? That you are a chosen vessel of the Lord Most High? Do you understand that today? Do you understand that at the end of this Advent season, as we look to our Savior who was born into this world, who has come, I pray, into your hearts, and who will come again, that you belong to Him? And Christian, I want you to know that in our Americanized Christianity, that we hold our lives far too dear to ourselves. That we all too often are concerned more with our own comfort, our own liberties, our own pursuits, And because of that, we fail to live a surrendered life to Christ. And listen, listen to this right here, that if you want to lay claim, I want you to understand this. If you, possessing the Word of God, if you treasure this in any way, shape, or form, and if in reading this you say, I want what is described in that, if you say, I want to lay claim to what is within the Word of God, then you must recognize the claim that He has on you. Because you can't have one without the other. We must be surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so, yes, the disciples that were here, they rightly interpreted what awaited Paul. But like us, they wrongly determined that such an end was outside of God's will, that it was outside of his plan and his purpose. God calls us to do crazy things. He calls us to do crazy things. But when you have heard from the Lord, when the Spirit has spoken then let me tell you, you're a marked individual in such an amazing way. And in light of that, we need to stop trying to run from it and embrace it. To say, yes, Lord, 
just as Ananias did, just as Paul did when he was blinded there on the road, that our response should be, yes, Lord, whatever you want. Do you know the number of crazy things that I've done in my life? And it would not be my intent today to use any of my examples as the basis for this message, but I can tell you that I stand here today as the product of some crazy things (laughs) in more ways than one. And now I'm not suggesting that we shun wise counsel. It's not to say that believers can't speak truth into our lives and allow us to pause and to consider and to take that before the Lord. But when you have heard from the Lord, there's no one else that you need listen to. But therein lies the second issue, is it not? Of how do you know that you have heard from the Lord? We have a lot of Christians today who either, one, struggle to hear from the Lord on something. They say they're not hearing from the Lord. They're struggling with it, whatever the case may be. Or we have also some on kind of the opposite end of the spectrum that say they've heard from the Lord, but really it was just that extra shot of espresso in the morning. And they think, yeah, here we go. And it's on an emotional high. And all of a sudden they're crashing and thinking, what did I do? How do you hear from the Lord? Right here, folks. Right here. His word. You pray, you seek him, and you read his word. You pray, you seek after him, and you read his word. We have to internalize that. We have to consider that. We have to meditate on that. Because Christian, I'm going to tell you right now that if you're not in the word, then you are in sin. And you have just identified one of your key goals for 2018, to be in the word. How is your daily time with the Lord? How is your daily time with the Lord and in his word? And I'm going to challenge you here. Listen, quiet time in the car doesn't cut it, okay? Listening to worship music and being inspired doesn't cut it. And listen, if you don't like what I'm saying right now, if you're feeling like, oh, you know, this is, you know, he's, he's, how did he know he's talking about me right now? Listen, you can leave here today and you can go and find a feel-good message that will no doubt encourage you right where you are that what you're doing is just fine. It'll be out there. They'll tell you that, hey, listen, Jesus loves you. And if you search hard enough, you'll find the answers right inside yourself. And I'm telling you that's a bunch of garbage. Not that Jesus loves you. He absolutely does. The answers are not in here. The answers are in here. The answers are in you pursuing the Lord and surrendering to him and saying, Lord, what would you have to do with me? How should I live? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And when we believe in that other trash out there, we are robbed of the joy of truly knowing him and the power of the living word of God. And we must get serious about this, folks. We must. If you're not desiring to be in the word of God regularly, then I am telling you that you have a heart problem and you are not in love with the Lord. we got to get serious about this. And listen, this challenge here is no different than any other challenge I'm giving you, because I am not up here speaking from a place of condemnation, but from a place of humiliation. Because if I'm going to challenge you on anything, then rest assured the Lord needs to deal with me first. And don't think for a second that there haven't been times where I've felt like I don't want to go to the Word. I don't want to spend time there. And maybe it's because I'm in a place of rebellion and disobedience and I'm angry towards God about something or I'm just being stubborn. Or maybe it's just because I feel like, hey, I've deserved some time to turn on the TV and just tune out for a while. And don't misunderstand me. God gives us seasons of rest. But if those seasons of rest are ever coming before the word of God, then it is not from him. And don't convince yourself that you're just being rewarded for something. No, he calls us to his word. He calls us to fellowship with him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to know you. 
And we've got to be serious about this because we cannot expect that a mediocre spiritual life is going to produce the fruit that we desire. God is calling you. There is no doubt about that. If I trust His Word, and I do, if I know that it is the living Word of God, then I know that He's calling you, that He desires to have a relationship with you. And like with Paul, He has a claim on you. And He wants to do things in you and through you. And some of them are likely going to be crazy. And if you're not surrendered to Him, if if you're not seeking Him in prayer and in His Word, then, then you're going to miss it. Unless we go down into some rabbit trail on the sovereignty of God, rest assured His plan and purpose will still be accomplished, but you may not have the same role in it. He wants to use you. He wants to work in your life. He wants to bless you in ways that you don't even understand. We've got to be committed to this. And so in verse 5, when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we, we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And so not being able to persuade them, they accompanied into the outskirts of the city. This was a customary thing for them to do, to, to walk with the travelers until they left the city. And here they knelt down and they prayed with him. No doubt they were burdened. Maybe they were still struggling with the fact that he was going, that he knew what was facing them. And maybe it was challenging them in their own faith to say, I don't know that I'd go. I don't know that I'd do it. They knelt and they prayed with them. And in verse 6, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. I love this here, because if you didn't pick up on it, this is Philip. This is Philip the deacon from the beginning. It's been 20 years since Paul was in this area, and here he encounters Philip, and it's not just Philip now, now it's Philip the evangelist. Who was this Philip? If you think back to Acts 8.26, you'll remember the deacon Philip, who was willing to go to the desert. You remember how God used Philip for revival in a particular area, and Philip was loving it, the Spirit was moving, and then the Lord spoke and said, Philip, go into the desert. And he was willing to go. He said, okay, Lord. Because that was one of those crazy things that everybody says, why would you leave this? You got everything going on here. You're in ministry. You're serving the Lord. God is blessing. Great revival is happening. And he says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to the desert. And I don't know what's there. Likely nothing. It's the desert. And no doubt people said, well, you're crazy. What are you thinking? You're giving all this up. Why? For what? Because the Lord told me to. And what happened when Philip went into the desert, but he runs into the Ethiopian eunuch that he comes alongside his chariot and he hears him reading from the word of God. And he shares Jesus with him and he gets saved. And we believe that that Ethiopian eunuch went to Ethiopia and continued to share the gospel there. And that's why we see such a strong Christian church within Ethiopia still today. Because Philip was obedient to the call of the Lord on his life. And in verse 40 of that chapter, in chapter 8, we read, He was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And here, 20 years later, he's known as Philip the Evangelist here in this area. Now, at the time, early on, Paul was still Saul. And here, this is likely the first time that they've met. And so imagine the conversation that must have happened between these two, especially Philip, who was likely dear friends with Stephen, the individual whose murder Saul presided over. Imagine what kind of relationship and conversation and greeting. I can't even imagine it. 
What a testimony with both of these men of what God can do in the life of a surrendered believer. And in verse 9, now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So it's interesting to note here, we have this one little verse of the daughters here of Philip. He had four young unmarried daughters, and they prophesied, but apparently they didn't exercise that gift here with Paul because it says nothing of anything they said, but rather that Agabus then comes and delivers this dramatic prophecy. And Agabus did what was common amongst many prophets, is that he sort of acted this thing out. He takes the belt and binds himself and says, so shall it happen to the man who who owns this belt. And so this begins to state more clearly to Paul and all those who are with him of what's going to happen when Paul goes into Jerusalem. But note that Agabus did not give him here a prohibition. He didn't say to him, hey, you can't do that. He didn't say you can't go there. What he said to him was that this is what's going to happen when you do. And so the question becomes for all of us is, would you go? If the Lord spoke to you today, And maybe he already has been. Maybe he's been communicating something to you that you've been wrestling with. Maybe you've been thinking to yourself, to quit my job and go do this? That's crazy. Maybe you've been considering the ramifications of whatever it is that the Lord has laid on your heart. Less money, no insurance, no security. I don't know. You fill in the blank because if it's you, you know. (laughs) You know what you're holding on to. Maybe it's because you've worked so hard for this. You've been planning for this. You've been on this path. For too many years to just give it up now, but yet the Lord is prompting you, saying, this is what I want. Will you go? Will you respond? What's God calling you today? That you're convincing yourself that it doesn't make sense. Maybe it's the Ethiopia trip. Not a shameless plug, sort of. But maybe you're thinking, too much money, too much vacation time, too dangerous, too uncomfortable. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you and saying, I want you to go because this is going to change your life. You are going to suddenly realize what it is that I've been calling you to. Do you know my first trip to Africa was with a couple? They each were in very successful positions, both of them making six figures, and they went on that trip to see what the Lord wanted to do. And within a year, they had quit their jobs, sold everything they had, and they were running a mission in Africa, in Uganda. You don't think people thought that was absolutely crazy? And I tell you what, it it ruined them (laughs) for the kingdom. I mean, it was just like they couldn't go back to their lives. They couldn't go back to what they were doing. That trip ruined them. They got back to the States and they said, I can't do this anymore. And they began to realize the calling that the Lord had placed on their lives. If God has called you to go, you go. Now, when we heard these things in verse 12, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. There they are again. And then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul had said in Acts 19.21 that he was purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And he said again in chapter 20, verse 22, that he was bound in the Spirit to go. He was a man who had clearly heard from the Lord and he understood what he was called to do. He had counted the cost. And so my question to you today is, have you counted the cost and then made a decision to pursue him? Have you heard from the Lord and purposed to follow him? Paul said in verse 14, as Luke writes, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. I can think of a few times that I've arrived at a decision after hearing from the Lord and others had suggested that perhaps I consider a different course of action. And at some point their voices ceased and they simply said, the will of the Lord be done. Have you arrived at that point in your own walk where you're ready to surrender to what it is that God desires of you? Or perhaps have you even started to really genuinely seek him in that way, going back to our discussion of being in the word? If you're not in the word, if you're not pursuing him, then none of this even matters. Because you're just going to keep following after the things of this world or the way in which your emotion in your heart is leading you. And it may not be ill-intended, but because you are not grounded in this, you're inevitably going to be heading in the wrong direction. Could perhaps 2018 be the year when we find that reckless love for the Lord, where we pursue Him with even a fraction of the energy and sacrifice in which He's pursued us? That for us, perhaps our mantra for 2018 could be, and I'll read again, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, and here's the key, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May that be our aim in 2018. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once again, for who you are, for all that you've done, Lord, for all that you are going to do, Lord. We have such a glorious hope in you, and I pray that that is realized by each and every individual here today. And as we sit here and worship and study your word on the eve of 2018, Lord, I pray that perhaps this scripture, these passages would come alive to us in a way that perhaps they never have before. And like Paul, that we would look forward. Yes, there's much that we've experienced that's behind us much of which that's made us who we are today. But those things are behind us. Help us, Lord, to have a heart that would be ready to pursue you, to move forward, to look forward to all that is before us, and to give it our absolute all. Lord, to pursue you with every fabric of our being, to be absolutely surrendered to you, that no matter the call that you place on our life, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the risk, no matter how crazy it may seem, from the perspective of those who are in the world, we would count it all as rubbish, Lord, as garbage compared to following you, to knowing, to realizing the calling that you've placed on our lives. Father, it is my prayer for each of these here today, myself included, that we would know that, that we would be surrendered to that and to you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.